Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Good morning. That, folks, is why you get bulletins with inserts in them. Sometimes that happens. This morning we're going to be in uh, the book of Amos, Amos chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 11 and 12, just two verses. A little bit of an atypical sermon for us. Uh, If you're visiting with us, uh, our, our normal method, again, is expositional preaching. We like to preach through books of the Bible. Um and have the, uh, the main idea uh, in the text be the main idea in the message. Uh, but we begin each year with five sermons. Uh, we call it our first five series, and we try to highlight things that we think are annually important. And this is the third in that five-part series where we're going to focus on the Word of God. And I'm going to be a little bit all over Amos So again, somewhat atypical for us. So Amos writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. They shall not find it. That's it. So let's pray. Oh Lord, how we do pray. We ask that you would attend to us now, that as we have met together, to worship you in the expectation of your Spirit's help. We ask for it. We ask for you to meet with us and to help us and that you would give us, if we don't have them, eyes that see and ears that hear the Word of God. And if you've given them, Give more light. Help us to hear better. You've brought a feast here to this church. I really believe that. And I just pray that you would sustain it. No matter whatever else is happening outside of our church, we pray for 
this church to be an oasis for the Word of God that would spread out from among us and just take over the land. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Few things are more devastating than a famine. Uh, just in the Bible, just in the Bible, uh, we see famines displacing whole peoples, whole nations. We see them terrorizing economies. We find them causing uh, recessions that don't appear to have any immediate remedy. We see famines spilling over in the streets on more than one occasion. Again, in the Bible, we see mothers who are boiling their babies in order to have food and sustenance to live on. And so we see famines created. They're actually created uh, by enemy armies as devices uh, for war. And they utilize them until the besieged city has chosen slavery over death. So famines are, are devastating things. And yet, according to Amos, in our passage this morning, there's another kind of famine, if we can believe it, that's even more devastating than that. Uh, John Wycliffe felt this. He felt what the devil never wants you to feel, uh, that the awfulest famine in the world is a famine of the Word of God. Uh, the devil hates the truth. He wants it to be in perpetual obscurity. The last thing he wants is for it to see the light of day, much less alight our souls in any real effective way. And it's in knowing this that we do all we can to avoid aiding his cause, a famine of the Word. So, in 1382, to counteract such a famine, Wycliffe finished the first, now listen, handwritten, handwritten translation of the entire Bible into the English of his day. And as being able to read the Bible for oneself began to threaten all of the corruption in the land from the throne to the pulpit, it was quickly judged a capital crime. Reading the Bible became punishable by death. And to drive that home to a church that was reforming <laughs> as they were reading the Scriptures for themselves, to press that home for a church that was refusing to bow to that kind of pressure, you read that, you're going to die. Though Wycliffe had died and been buried for 44 years, okay, I'm 42, they dug him up and burned his body, his remains, at the stake. Wycliffe and others like him, and before him, like Amos, knew the stakes in fending off a famine of the Word of God. They knew the cost of a feast, and they knew the cost of a famine. And they gave their lives then that our souls might stay at the banqueting table of the Word of God. As we go into our message this morning, the question I have for us is, are we there? 
Are we regularly seated at the banqueting table of the Word of God? It came at a mighty price. Let's come to Amos and learn first and mainly that if we don't feast on God's Word, we can expect a famine of it. And Amos presents that as the worst of temporary judgments. The worst of temporary judgments. So if you actually go to Amos chapter 4, and you pick up in verse 6, you'll find God listing off uh, all kinds of these prior judgments that He's applied to Israel under a better state of heart, perhaps would lead them to repentance long before you got to our passage, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. And so He sent them a famine of bread, an actual famine of bread. And He withheld the rain, and He had frustrated their crops. And he struck them with blight and mildew and plague. And he'd handed them over in war. And he'd divested them of all of their earthly might and treasure. And he'd hamstrung their future. He'd made them to smell of death. Instead of being a a, a temple for a people, God had made them a tomb. So here's how he puts it in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. He says, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. And then one word, silence. And that's not the worst of it. It's not until later in our verses that God announces a famine of hearing the Word. Friends, by Amos, God is saying there's something worse than the horror of stumbling upon a nation of starved bodies and dried bones and plagued corpses and slaughtered remains. There's something worse than the silence of a ghost town. And that thing that's worse is the silence of God. It's all of that without any of the Word. It's all of that trial without any of God's truth. It's all of that horror without any of God's revealed hope. It's all of that desperation in the streets without any of God's revealed doctrine. It's all of those shrieks, we can imagine them, all of those shrieks with a revealed silence they will know they have earned. Jesus knew what God had said in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do we know that? Do we know that it's better to consume the word and starve for bread than to have bread in abundance and starve for the Word. Would you happen upon a horror? Then happen upon a church under judgment for silencing the Word of God. You happen upon a church like that, what you're going to find is so many, not dead bodies, 
but dead souls. And you're going to find them scattered every which way. Is there anything more sorrowful than that to you and me? To lose the Word of God is to lose the light of life. This famine, the famine of the Word of God, is to starve to death and then on to all eternity for lack of the knowledge of God, for lack of the knowledge of Christ, for lack of the knowledge of the truth that saves sinners and sustains sinners and sanctifies sinners, is to leave a people who are blind and weak and ignorant and defenseless. It's to leave a people really without a pulse and without hope in the world. There is not a judgment like a famine of the Word. I imagine Amos coming to our verses after all the devastation that's gone before it, tears in his eyes, I think we can see that in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and crying out, Oh God, anything but this. Anything. All those other famines. All those other plagues. Whatever they are. Anything but a famine of the Word. And as we come to parse that out, I want to highlight not one but two aspects of one famine. So first, it's a famine of hearing the Word. A famine of hearing the Word. This is verse 11. There it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, you may have those things, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Of hearing the words of the Lord. So, distinct from the disappearance of heralds, there's going to be a plague of deafness in the land. The word could be sounding forth at a fever pitch, but those who hear it will be deaf to it. Did you hear that? Those who hear it will be deaf to it. So Amos prophesies, just so you know, he's prophesying at a time when Isaiah is prophesying. He's prophesying at a time when Isaiah is taking up his momentous pulpit. And you come to the end of Isaiah, what's Isaiah's lament? So many have heard the good news. So many have heard the report. But who has believed it? Who has believed what they've heard? It's the preached word here. It's graced their ears, but it has not alighted their hearts. It's had no good effect within them. Don't you see there in verse 11 that the Lord is the one who's done this? It's a judgment. The days are coming when I will send a famine, he says. And maybe you and I, we, we hear that and we go, I don't like the sound of that. Why would God do that? The answer is, well, for a very long time, He didn't do that. For a very long time, He did not do that. That, again, as God reckons it, He gave them all manner of lesser famines. (laughs) He gave them lighter judgments. He gave them softer disciplines, softer strokes. And all the while that He was doing that, He left His Word among them. Hear it. Receive it. Believe it. Live by it. 
He poured it out, one prophet after another. He sent them seasons of refreshing by the Word of God. You think Josiah. But it never took. They hardly repented. And God's mercy, however long-suffering it may be, is not forever suffering. You let mercy be assumed and despised, and justice will inevitably prevail. There is a time at which God says, no more. Justice is now. And the preaching ministry of Jesus only proves that point. You know, we often get the parables wrong. We often get the parables wrong. We think Jesus spoke in parables, why? To make the truth easier to perceive. That's wrong. No doubt they're among the most memorable stories in the world. But did you know that Jesus tells us exactly why he spoke in parables? And do you know why that is? Yes. I'll quote Jesus. (laughs) This is why I speak in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And if they turned, I would Heal them, Matthew 13, 14, and 15. So Jesus speaking in parables was not exactly a mercy. We're going to make this nice and memorable and easier for people to grasp. That's not what's going on in the parables. The parables are actually a kind of judgment on those who had long rejected the word of Christ, the word of God. It's no coincidence then that the parable Jesus gives right after making that statement is the parable of the sower, the soils, and the seed. The sower, you remember this? He scatters the seed everywhere. The seed is thrown everywhere. It's on all the soils. And so everybody, every single person, every single soil hears the word with their ears. All of them but it's only the divinely tilled ground. It's only the good soil that receives that seed and bears much fruit by it. Do not mistake mere hearing from the mouth of a man like this for the kind of hearing that indicates you're alive from the dead. Not the same thing. Those who hear the word of God and do it, that's my family, Jesus said. So what Amos is prophesying in verse 11 is this well-earned hardening of already stony hearts. There'll be no hearing heart. There will only be gaunt and skeletal souls in this day, for lack of hearing the word. And then there's verse 12. The Lord continues, they shall wander 
from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Some of the saddest words in the Bible. What the Lord is saying is that given this famine, there will be some who begin to hunger for the Word. And perhaps they were among the few who loved the Word of God and they lived on the Word of God and now the Word of God is gone. And because it's gone, they're now eager to recover the Word of God. They're just dying for a feast. They too have been through all the other judgments. They've been through that. But nothing is so bad as a famine of the Word. And so they'll go anywhere. They will travel the world over. Just give us the Word. We'll go sea to sea, north to east, to and fro. Where is the Word? The Word is gone from Israel. It's nowhere in Judah. Is it in Egypt? I'll go. Is it in Tyre? Is it 10,000 miles away? We don't have planes. We don't have trains. We don't have automobiles. But we have sandals, maybe. And that's enough. Let's go. No. Let's run. Let's run. We cannot get there fast enough. And no travel is so treacherous that we will not traverse it if only for the truth of God's Word. If only we can hear the Word of God give us a feast. Maybe some of you can relate to that. When I pastored in New England, we gathered for worship like this on Sunday evenings, which meant that half the time it was very cold and very dark, like winter and awful. Still, we had members who, on those evenings, they would travel an hour one way to feast on the Word. Because best they had researched it, there was an awful famine all along the way from where they were to where we met. But see here, it won't matter how far or how fast they travel. Finding a herald of the Word will be like grasping for vapor. It'll be like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, only more impossible. You can fly around like Usain Bolt. But the famine is going to move faster. They may find so many pulpits but they will not find one single syllable of the Word of God. So let me urge you here, if you have happened to stumble upon a faithful ministry of the Word, what a gift of God, what a grace. That in seeking for it, you might have ever found it. And found it not in scraps, but as a feast for your soul. Would you avoid a famine of the Word of God in these days? Then you cannot assume a feast. You cannot assume a feast. As if it is what it is, and it will always be this good. 
It'll always be this free. It'll always be this full. If it is good and solid and rich, appreciate it, thank God for it, and pray it forward. Pray it onward. Pray it gets in to other believers, other churches, and spreads like wildfire. We do have a responsibility in this for better and for worse. Let's take a moment to investigate then the why of the worse. How did God's people at this time end up here? Amos 8, 11, and 12. How did they incur a famine of hearing the word of God? Five quick thoughts, I promise. Five quick thoughts. Number one, all this is coming from the book of Amos, okay? Number one, that against the word, they lived like the world. As you read Amos this week in preparation for now, you know how Amos begins. It's two chapters of judgments moving from the world to God's people. They're included. The Lord roars from Zion is how it starts. Against Damascus. And all of God's people said, yes. And against Gaza, amen. And against Tyre, praise the Lord. Edom, Ammon, Moab. We like that. And then Judah. And then Israel. And why? Why are they lumped in with the world for judgment? Because they're no different. They're no different. And you can see this rather starkly in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It's pretty wild. God actually invites Ashdod in Egypt to look in on Israel's capital and see the great tumults within her. He says to them, they, meaning Israel, my people, don't know. How is this even possible? They don't know how to do what's right. They have the Word of God. And they don't know how to do what's right. At their representative heart, within their citadel, all they do is violence and robbery. They certainly do not love God and their neighbor. They certainly are not obedient to my word. And that's the thing. Unlike the godless peoples around them, God's people had the word of God and they heard the word of God, but having the word of God and hearing the word of God, they were no different than the world around them. And so for that very reason, God holds them out to godless people as something even worse than what the godless peoples were. It's called a hypocrite. They were not what they were promoted to be. That's one. Two. 
against the word, their worship was heartless and barren. Here's a sampling of what I mean. Amos chapter 8, verse 5. They would say things like this. When will the new moon be over? That we may sell grain. And the Sabbath, when will it be over? That we may offer wheat for sale, make the ephah small, the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances. That is, when can I get on with my sinful life? When will this holy day pass? so I can go back to making an actual profit. It's not profitable to be here. How soon can I get out the doors of the sanctuary so I can put on my true nature? So I can put on my actual self again? Is it noon yet? Is the guy still preaching? (laughs) Doesn't he know I've got better things to do, more pressing things to do? When is this going to end so I need no longer pretend to be something that I'm not? A worshiper in spirit and in truth. That's number two. Number three. Against the word, maybe even worse, they were at ease like this. They were at ease like this. They were at ease in their sin. They were at ease in their dead religiosity. Though the Word lived to shake them, every time it did, they would run to all their other securities to soften the blow and to settle the tremors that were meant to shake them awake. So they had great citadels, Ivory beds, all this is in Amos. Luxurious couches and the finest lamb. They had idle songs. They had wine by the bowls. It's like something out of Thor. They bathed in luxurious oils. Prosperity abounded. And what a numbing agent that can be upon the soul. Amos chapter 6, verse 1, God says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, who are not grieved over the ruin of my people. Apparently, earthly prosperity is no spiritual security. You can have all the world and yet be ruined. And as that defines a people of God and you can't see it so that you're not at all grieved to do something about it, to correct it, your heart and God's Word are not on the same page. That's three. They're at ease. Four against the Word, and despite all of this so far, they refused, refused to repent. 
If we pick it up again in chapter 4, verse 6, we're going to find this common refrain. Yet you did not return to me. I did this thing so that you would repent. You did not return to me. So God would do this and that and the other to bring them back to Himself, which as we'll see included sending them His Word via prophets like in Amos, but they would not return to God. Though the Word of God was calling them, detailing for them, modeling, quickening them to godliness, and gave all warnings against their sin and idolatry, they neither kept to the Word of God, again, nor returned to God once they had departed. Though the Word crystallized the form and substance of good, true, rich, biblical worship and gave all warnings against man's inventions and idolatry, they neither kept to the Word of God nor returned once they departed from it. And that holds for their spiritual earnestness as well. Again, they were at ease. They wanted nothing to do with the concerns of God that He clearly communicated to them in His Word. They refused to repent. And what's more and last is they refused to even tolerate anyone who would speak the truth to them. Against the word, they silenced God's heralds. They put out the light that He gave them. So if you look at Amos chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, They hate Him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor Him who speaks the truth. If you go back a couple chapters towards the front, chapter 2, verse 12, it says, You, my people, commanded the prophets. You commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Once you open your mouth, you shall not prophesy. And then, there's actually the case of Amos himself. He records it for us in chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. There's a certain priest, his name was Amaziah. And Amaziah, he goes to Jeroboam. Jeroboam's this really wicked king at the time. And Amaziah told Jeroboam, in his preaching, Amos is publicly conspiring against you, and this is a quote now, and the land is not able to bear all his words. Why not? Because he spoke the truth. Because it wasn't entirely positive. Amos' words weren't just dripping with honey for the king because it was a word of judgment against his sin, because it was the word of God. And these are the words of that priest to God's prophet. He says to Amos, O seer, go. Get out of here. Flee away to Judah. Eat bread there. Prophesy there, but never again here. For this is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Exactly. Satan's kingdom. Sin's sanctuary. Man's temple. 
Get out of here, Amos, you herald of God. So there we have it. How did it come to a famine of the Word? They refused to feast on the Word. All they wanted was for God to stop speaking to them, and God gave them exactly what they wanted. Silence. If we don't feast on God's Word, we can expect a famine of it. How can we avoid that? We can feast on the Word of God. It's Colossians 3, verse 16, isn't it? What's it say? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you hear the appeal of the Apostle in that? Let it. Let it. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We've got to do something. And our liability and privilege is all the greater than it was even for Israel, I think. We don't have the Word from God in spurts, nor do we have it in part. We don't have it bound to a single prophet for a little bit of time, or even to so many people here and there. The end of Amos looks beyond this famine to a time we know when the Word of God would become flesh and be exegeted among us in a person. So, beloved, if if ever there was, there is no excuse for a famine now. God has disclosed Himself once for all, fully and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we have all God wanted to say to us. We have the Bible on the preserving labors of a Wycliffe. We have the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. And what we have, we have in English. Each one of us. Probably in multiples. How many Bibles do you have in your house, your apartment? We have it in our hands. We have it in our laps. We have it on our phones. We have study Bibles and reader Bibles and story Bibles and preaching Bibles. That's crazy. Not in all the world, but where we are, the resources for Bible study are endless. Simple access to the Word of God is basically unlimited. For now. So, what a travesty where professing Christians and churches show they cannot bear to hear the Word of God fully and full-throated, and the heralds oblige that. How devastating when we prefer gaunt pulpits to gourmet ones. When we prefer good vibes, if I can borrow from Corey's devotional, 
good vibes over good news on the back of true, however harsh words. What a travesty when the people hear the word, but that's it. They just hear it. They shut it out of their lives. What a travesty when they play the part of Amaziah. God sends them a faithful herald of the word, and they send him packing just as soon as he arrives. Go do that somewhere else. How devastating when the hearers are no more like Jesus in the end of their lives than at the start of their lives. When they hardly know the mighty truths of the Bible and on their lives believe them lesser still. What a travesty when they're deaf to God and when the heralds perpetuate this, when they perpetuate this by giving coping tips over converting meals. Heralds who have bowed to the ill demands of the pew over the pure preaching of the text of Scripture. Heralds who are failing to preach the Word of God and instead preach themselves and preach their fancies and preach their comfort zones and preach their stories and preach their jokes and now preach the regurgitation of others. Plagiarism, artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's getting into the pulpit. When they're not preaching the whole counsel of God. What a travesty. Just the New Testament, not the Old. I can preach John, not the Song of Songs. I'll give you the Gospel, but I won't give you the whole thing. I'll preach to you my theological systems, but I will not give you the Word of God. We have a feast to preach and enjoy with all of our souls. God help us not to settle even for partial famines. If we would perpetuate a feast, we simply have to feast. We have to embrace our distinction as God's people. We have to let His Word inform and reform our worship. We can't be at ease in Zion. We have to care that the Word abides at the center of this church and be so very grieved if it slips even one inch because that's one inch closer to ruin. We need to rejoice to repent when it says we must and plead, plead with all our hearts for our teachers and preachers. Don't give us less, give us more. Rather than leave us be, please, for the love of God, leave nothing out. Preach the Word as a dying man to dying men. You do that, we promise, we will feast. 
there's a reason we mean, at least, to model biblical preaching here. There's a reason why we want to not forego, but accumulate accountability for speaking the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. There's a reason why we're working here in this church to train and to develop men and women of the Word. There's a reason why we're involving other pastors down the road in the very development that we're seeking for ourselves. Because we want to see a feast in their churches. There's a reason why we ask you every week, sometimes by the day, to pray for this pulpit as your very own pulpit, your very own preaching ministry. There's a reason why we're adamant that you love every syllable of the Bible and urge others to go and do likewise. There's a reason why we support Dave and Stacy Hare and Bible translation in the backwoods of Cameroon. There are people in the world who don't have a Bible in their own language. There's a reason why our entire philosophy of ministry, if you just want to boil it down to like one thing, is essentially this, to the fount, to the Bible, to the Word of God. And why is that? Because we want to do what we can, all we can, to make a famine of hearing the Word of God so very extremely hard to come by. If there's going to be a famine of the Word in the land, we here want to be as the stores of Joseph. Not just for ourselves, but come on, come get it. And live. We want to be able to put out a spread that spreads. We want to be able to put out a feast that feeds far and wide insofar as it is good and rich. Jesus did not die, and He certainly does not live. For the sinner He has saved, to be a soul that's starved. Friend, listen. Are you a sinner that he saved? If not, I pray you'll really hear. You'll really hear it. The Word came into the world and died that you might believe and live on that very word. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you to supply you, the sinner, with an eternal salvation. Not a famine, but an eternal banquet in the house of God. Don't let that right now Go in one ear and get out the other. Let that truth drop the foot from here to there in your heart and believe that and Jesus will save you this minute. 
And dear ones, I'll say this and we're done. I pray it encourages your heart. <laughs> uh, I, I had worked all, all week on, on this particular sermon and uh, got to last, last uh, night, I think it was, and, and Jenny was like, I told her, I said, pray for me. And she said, I've been praying. I've been praying that it would be so encouraging to the people. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, maybe in the negative sense, it'll be encouraging for the people. So I added this. But I really mean it. I really do mean it. You have become and are becoming a church. That's Amos 8, verses 11 and 12, rewritten. Here, the Lord has sent a feast. Not a feast of bread, nor a flood of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. If the hungry seek it among you, I personally attest, they will find it like a feast. You are those who have weighed the cost of a famine. And you've weighed the cost of a feast. And on your life, you've chosen feast. And with all praise to God, I love you for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that comes in a multitude of ways. And we pray now that you would take these words from your word and that you would cause there to be so much life, teeming life within the hearts of your people today. Let us be, really, a people of the Word. And may it go out from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.